I'm author Mark Muncy. And I'm author Erica Lance. And this is Eerie Travels. Greetings, travelers. Greetings, travelers. I'm in a squeaky chair today, so if anybody here squeaks, I apologize for that. I don't... Anyway, ugh, recording I, in a well, different place. Uh, you know, that's, that's, that's part of the thing. I thought your minions that work in your secret bunker lair would take care of that for yourself, so... You would think so, but you know, uh, some, you, oh, it's did, very did hard you, to find good minions. Vaporize the minion that's in charge of oiling the chair. Yeah, <laughs> well, it, that minion's a clone of a clone of a clone, so oh, okay. it's not working out well for me. <laughs> what one of these days we're gonna have to do just like a super villain one hundred and one and like things <laughs> like that on on how to take care of your minions and stuff. We did a thing many many millions of years ago in the early days of uh the internets uh, i knew you were gonna segue player. into this yeah i had to segue into this uh, sorry callie you you were forced to listen to it much every it, car ride man there was a bunch of the bureau 13 news group we were doing a group called uh mephisto media and we were pretending to be a radio station for super villains and uh and one of the things we did was like you're you your new evil henchman and it was done like the sound of an old slideshow, boop, 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 you know, <laughs> where you're changing the slides and it was, you know, gone long ago are the days of the dumb henchmen, yo, yo. Well, people are so excited about our episodes, like the the most um, powerful werewolf and stuff. We got yeah. a lot of comments. So we should um, we should do one on our, our favorite, um, the best and the worst supervillains. Okay. Yeah, that would be good. Yeah, we'll, th we'll throw that like, in there. You know, we'll throw that in there. We'll do one on mistakes that you know henchmen make and stuff. So yeah, that'd be good. So exactly. But anyway, oh my gosh, it's you know it's summer. We're moving through things, and uh, and and the world is going crazy. Have you seen some of the headlines? I have, which uh, makes me think we need a breaking news. Oh my gosh, yes, yes, I've got one that. Just this one floored me because there's video of this, which is no, it's not something in the air, but it is something in the air. Ready for this? A it's woman a, freaks it's a not out something on, in the air. Yeah, yeah, not well, it's a plane, and a woman freaks out on airplane, says she's getting off the plane because the person she was sitting beside is not real. And this is amazing. I mean. Airplanes have always been dangerous, but some people just go crazy, right? You know, and this is another one of those ladies, just major disturbance. And it looks like it's about to take off. It's it's unclear in the video whether it's actually in the air or not, but she was trying to force a way off the craft. And then, the, you know, she's like, the person next to her, not real. It's not real. Wow. I um loved this video. We're going to be sharing it in the notes. Yeah. It's in the I notes. love this video, but what I didn't um feel was uh touched upon enough by the people taping it yeah. or oh my god, I just said taping it. Oh man, you're Nobody old. knows what that means. <laughs> anyway, by the people with their smart devices mm. um is I feel the person that she thought was not real needed a lot more screen time. Yes. Yes, because it's not filmed at all in this, you know? Yes. I'm like, all right, so it could be 
you know, Matrix. It she could be, be right. That person could be not real. We'll never know because we'll never we know. don't see them. And for the record, there are some drugs that are bad to take when you're going on a plane. I'm just going to throw that out there. <laughs> just, drugs also, can be bad on know, a plane. There are certain you know, drugs that I will endorse to be on a plane, but any ones that may or may not cause hallucinations or paranoia, maybe don't take them before you board your aircraft. Well, Carrie's been watching a lot of House lately. Mm-hmm. And and uh, I keep thinking, oh man, maybe she was having some sort of odd symptom, and this is you know hiding something. And and let's and let's face it, folks, mental health is definitely something that you know people need to take care of, and that, not just for the person who is getting kicked off the plane, but also maybe the person who wasn't real next to him. Yeah, like, I'm just gonna throw this out. Um, I don't feel she was being kicked off the plane. She was trying to leave the plane. Yeah. They just were not backing her play. So (laughs) I get it. It's very interesting. But because I know what we're going to be talking about in this episode. This is going to tie into this. That's why I brought this story to the forefront. Well, I also found a story on our Friends Paranormality magazine. Hey! If you use the code TRAVELS, you can get 10% off their swag this and this article is behind the paywall so um in a small this this article is called the tormented life of an ufo experiencer oh and it's said in a small pacific gosh i cannot get that word pacific northwest town brian a man in his mid-40s led a haunted life by bizarre encounters and unexplained lost time events since childhood these mm. eerie episodes shrouded in mystery plagued brian and his family leaving them searching for answers despite his attempts to lead a normal life brian's struggles persisted affecting his career his relationships and ultimately leading to his untimely demise so this article delves into the enigmatic world of lost time and abduction experiences using Brian's story as a lens to explore the hardship faced by those who endure such encounters. So um, I think that is very timely for both this woman on the plane and um, what we're going to be talking about today. And we just talked about, you know, we just did the uh, episode on uh, Indrid. And, you know, the Derenbergers, had, you know, were multiple time contactees and had to deal with that stuff their whole lives and how it basically ruined Woody's life and all that. It's uh, it's pretty crazy uh, out there. So I see why people try to avoid talking about this sometimes. This is why it's tough to get people to come forward and discuss these things. So, yes. I also think, you know, there's the whole side of um, people saying they saw a UFO and things like that. And of course, generationally, I think things have changed. But, you know, it's, I think it goes into a whole layer, which we're not going to go into in this episode at all of not being believed or being heard, you know, by people, because it's very easy to dismiss things. And we constantly say, we don't know what things are and we do our own looking into things. And me and you both have separate beliefs on different situations that, you know, we've talked about on the show and we encounter, but I think there definitely is um, a whole thing to somebody's experiences in their reality with what they saw, especially in something that's so heavily polarized as UFOs and our UFOs here and stuff like that. I think it, you know, I could see, especially if you have multiple experiences and things that you can't explain how it would be 
very hard. But I think this is true for people who encounter cryptids and people who encounter ghosts and all this kind of thing is that we're delving into something a very small area of the population um, is saying that it had an experience with. And so it definitely gets into being the minority and not the majority in social situations. So be nice to those who've seen UFOs. That's all yep. I'm going to say. And or people that aren't real on the plane. So yes. Uh, but uh, anyway, we're going to go back. Uh, we are last December was the 50th anniversary of an event. And uh, we marked it by being down in the Everglades for the anniversary of the event. And it was, uh, you know, it's December in Florida. It's the only time to go to the Everglades in Florida because the mosquitoes are all in hell where they belong. And <laughs> the alligators are all a little sleepy. So, you know, you can go down in the Everglades and not have to deal with quite as much uh, as you do the rest of the year. But um, on Dece I'm going to take us on the way back machine again. We're going to go Ooh. back to December 29th, 1972. You know, I love me some time travel. Yep. What so happened on December 29th? All right. So Eastern Airlines flight 401. So some people know this story. Some people don't. So buckle up, people. There may be a slight trigger warning for this because it does involve an airline disaster and some deaths. But uh, I'll try to keep the gruesome details minimal. So, uh, so I well, then let's minimal... officially call it a trigger warning. If these are things that are triggers for you, you may choose not to listen to this episode and pick a different one. Yeah, if airline disasters scare you, this this one was was probably the, one of the worst of its day. It was definitely at the time the second worst airline disaster of all time. Okay. But, um, all right. So. What happened, you know, you know, basically the plane left JFK airport in uh, from, from New York and it was en route to Miami International Airport. And it had been a long trip for this, right? It was, it had gone up, it had gone down, it had left Miami earlier and was coming back on its return home. Okay. And, um, it's, it's pretty crazy. So and many people don't necessarily know this, but most air, you know, most flights do do laps to various right. cities. And even if it's multiple cities, but they usually start off in one city, go to multiple cities and come back to the origin city. That's been how flights work for some time. Yeah. So this was Eastern Airlines and uh, it was a, a Lockheed L-1011-1. TriStar. So for you plane aficionados, and it was a fairly new plane. It was, you know, new, hadn't been used very long. And that was kind of new to Eastern Airlines. They hadn't used, really used these wide body planes that much. And uh, had 163 passengers and 13 crew members on board. So altogether, 176 people on board. And the flight- I'm just going to point out that's a lot of people considering they don't have nearly- that amount of staff on most large airplanes anymore. Right. Not anymore, right? Now it's what, five? Maybe, five. maybe on yeah. the big ones. Usually so it's back like when two or three. You actually got 
blankets and food, real food on your plane. And, you know, you could stretch out a little bit. These were big. You could planes. smoke on the planes. Do you remember <laughs> yeah, that? It was the seventies. So yeah. Yeah. Um, and basically on approach, they, um, uh, the pilot who's uh, Bob Loft and he had over three decades of flight experience and uh, he was coming home and they had a first officer, Albert Stockstill, and then they had a flight engineer, Donald Repo. Some people said navigator, but navigators were pretty much done by this time. Uh, so he was a flight engineer and then the 10 flight attendants. So that's the crew. And the plane is beginning its descent into Miami. This is late December 29th, right? So it's coming up on New Year's. And, and I'm sure it's very snowy weather. Oh, yeah, in Miami, <laughs> coming over the Everglades. So probably a nice 80 degrees. Um, anyway, the plane's beginning its descent. Passengers and crew prepare for landing. And Stockstall, who's you know first officer there, the co-pilot, notices that the landing gear light indicator has not turned on and showed that the nose gear down was locked. So they cycle the landing gear several times, nothing's coming. So they contact the tower in Miami and say, hey, we've got, we got an issue. Uh, something's not right. And, uh, and the quote was basically, uh, Tower, this is Eastern uh, 401. Looks like we're going to have to circle. We don't have a light on our nose gear yet. And so the controllers kind of give their okay and say, all right, just maintain your altitude, 2,000 feet, and circle around over the Everglades and come back. Because that way you're not over the city. We don't want to, yeah. you know, we don't want to risk anything. Um, and so the pilots engage autopilot and start trying to figure out what the heck's the problem. And they're like, you know, it might just be the light. The, it, it can go bad. This is the 1970s. Lights, you know, light bulbs, you know, it can go bad. Not LEDs like they are now. So the engineer, Repo, says, I'll go down under and I'll check the indicator uh, through the peephole. And what they actually have under the cockpit is a place called the hell hole and this guy climbs down in there and what they've got is this little it's kind of like a doorbell you're looking out your door people and you can look out front and visually confirm that the landing gear is down okay this is where all the wiring and everything else is so he goes down there and starts climbing through now what happened is at some point while well, the guy the captain and the first officer up there are trying to figure out what switch because, you know, what else they can do, somehow they bump the autopilot switch, we think, and turn it off. So they start losing altitude as they're circling. Wow. So, wow. How do, only you, at how do you mess feet. that up? It's pitch black because it's night. And, uh, and the uh, crew notices something's wrong. And they get this little notification. The first officer's like, we must have done something to the altitude. And the captain's replies, what? Yeah. Uh, and he's like, we're still at 2,000 feet, right? Your first officer asks. And that's where 
the tape cuts off. Now we hear the guy Repo down in the um, hellhole. He gets to the front and he looks out and he sees the landing gear is down. So it's fine. It wasn't out like. But then he sees trees. They're supposed to be at 2,000 oh, wow. feet. They were at 200 feet. They were going 227 miles an hour. They crashed into the Everglades. Yeah. To just set the stage for anybody who might not completely understand the Everglades, that first of all, in Florida, there are no mountains. Mountains do not exist in Florida. No. That is not a thing. So most of Florida is at sea level or a few feet above, but not very high. So when you're saying that you see trees, it's not like you're seeing a mountainous forest, blah, blah, blah. You are literally seeing something that is probably 20 feet tall. Yeah, 20, like maybe. Feet tall. Yeah, yeah. Maybe. This is the Everglades. So there were some bigger trees, but not many. So they scatter wreckage approximately 1,600 feet long and about 300 feet wide. And then a fire starts. Wow. Now, there are survivors. Because almost immediately, airboat operators in the area see the flash. Because they're all out frog hunting and doing other things in the Everglades that you do. Gator hunting. Gator hunting, other things like that. And uh, one of the guys we got to talk to, this guy's named Bud Marquis. Um, he was... He's like, I, I was no doctor. I didn't know what to do, but I knew I had to go out there and help people. So he went out with his airboat and it was basically like the, the Cajun mafia that they call it now that actually go and help people in disasters. This is kind of like an early version of that. People start showing up and the Coast Guard is quickly notified and helicopters immediately start coming. And they're all from their station in Opelika, which is, you know, middle of nowhere, Florida. And they had trouble finding the wreckage but Marquis was actually one of the guys who was signaling the helicopters with his swamp buggy uh, looking for help. So it was his light that they were able to home in on, which was pretty darn cool. This man was a, is a unsung hero that, you know, people dif disappeared from. And so dozens of people are airlifted to hospitals. And 14 people suffered burns and 17 only had minor injuries which is pretty crazy. Well, I mean, in a way, it kind of makes sense. You're pretty close to the ground. You right, know? and they were ready for landing. So um, it was, uh, yeah, they were, they were buckled up. And, uh, you know, they were, you know, so it was the safety measures at the time was pretty good. You know, it, you know they held up. And uh, it was the second deadliest plane crash in U.S. history at the time. Now, by today's standards, it's probably around 15th or 16th. Um, How many people pa passed away? 93 immediately, and several others later died of their wounds. Now, the pilot died instantly. Uh, okay. Stock still was a little alive but they, he died while they were getting him out of the wreckage. Okay. The first uh, I'm sorry, I had that backwards. Sorry. Stock still died immediately, and the pilot died as they were pulling him from the wreckage. Now, Repo, down in the hellhole, he makes it to the hospital and dies a couple days later. Oh, wow. Um, now, 
most of the stewardesses survived. Most of the rest of the crew survived. And that's a, um, you know, just a crazy deal that, uh, that it, you know, that this many people did that, right? It's, uh, you know, they survived this harrowing ordeal and being dragged out of the swamp. Flames, jet fuel, the Everglades is just, you know, crazy at this point, but it happened. Now, this is where it gets crazy. Okay, well, then we should take a break real quick. Yes. And come back to getting crazy. Eerie Appalachia. Gear up for a frightful jaunt into the darkest reaches of the ancient Appalachians. Folks deep within the Appalachian hollers lean close to the campfire to share stories of the inexplicable with hushed awe. Monsters rumbling in the hills, strange lights darting through the pitch black night sky, horrible occurrences almost ineffable in their bizarre tragedy. Tall tales, you might say. Tell that to the Flatwoods monster in Braxton County, West Virginia, or the Goat Man of Louisville. Look into his humanoid eyes and let him know you don't believe. What are those apparitions in Mammoth Cave's Corpse Rock or the Satan Spawn known as the Jersey Devil? How do you respond when confronted by these mysteries? From the metaphysical energy that swirls near Serpent Mound in Ohio to Point Pleasant's Mothman Legacy, Mark Muncie and Carrie Schultz explore the dark history lurking in the shadows of Appalachia. Read by Mark Muncie, author and experts on strange folklore with appearances on shows such as Ancient Aliens, The Curse of Robert the Doll, and many, many more. Greetings, mortals and others. I'm Dick Terhune, the voice from hell. I work with haunted attractions all over the US, Canada, and Europe to increase audiences and enhance their experience with highly effective commercials, narrations, animatronic character voices, whatever your dark heart desires. Let me help you do more, scare more, profit more. Find out more at Voice From Hell on Facebook and at voicefromhell.com. Okay, so we're back. Flight 401, 410, 410 yeah. is in the Everglades. No, 401, 401, Four, 401. Okay, sorry. 401 is in the Everglades. It's crashed. We have 19 nine, miles nine, north of Miami International Airport. You know, 75 survivors, basically. Okay. And the... Uh, Did they find everyone? They found pretty much everybody. All the remains are found and the, the, the survivors are found. Uh, the, one of the things Marquis talked about was seeing a head floating in the water. That was, you know, pretty crazy. Um, then, you know, as you know, but the, the crash, parts of the plane were actually surprisingly in good shape. And a lot of the parts were in really good shape. Like I said, this was a fairly new plane. So Eastern scavenges the parts and decides we're going to use these to repair other l l 1011s okay i need to put a pause here so from a corporate standpoint i just want to notify because i have no idea what mark's about to say yeah. but let me tell you what a terrible plan this is to <laughs> reuse parts of something where people died like this is not a good plan this was not a well thought out plan Okay, continue. All right. So 
this is where our story, why this is such a famous story, right? I mean, the fact it was one of the most dangerous, air, you know, biggest airline disasters of all time. But what happens is the the crew gets spread out to other planes, right? You got to they got to keep their jobs. They got you know they're 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 still working. And, and we're uh, talking about only the stewardesses because everybody else doesn't survive. Everybody correct? else didn't make it, but the stewardesses uh, start going on to other flights. Okay. And what they start doing though on these other flights is they're seeing things. They're seeing some of the dead crew members on these other flights. They're very unusual sightings. Mostly Robert Loft and one stewardess had an encounter with where she swore Don Repo was in his flight engineer outfit fixing an oven in the galley of their ship. And that oven had been taken from the wreckage and put into the new plane. I absolutely would have quit that yeah. minute. Like, no, you're not getting me on another plane after I'm seeing ghosts of the people from that accident. Mm -mm. Bye. Yeah, no, no, I concur a thousand percent with this. This would be an overall nope for me. So I'm willing to bet they didn't know that those parts were from their old plane, correct? No, they when did they not. did this, they, okay. They did not. And um, it's so story starts, you know, circulating, right? There's some, there's some definitely something going on. And one of the most famous is this one person, they were, they were, he was working on, oh gosh, he was, I'm trying to remember how it goes because it's, it's such a crazy story. He's working on the engine and he's going to do the pre-flight check. And suddenly Repo is there standing next to him. Says, don't worry. I've already done the pre-flight check. Everything's fine. We are never going to allow another crash on our watch. Wow. Um. Then another point, they say this is this is uh, the captain speaking. We think there might be a fire. Well, the captain hadn't boarded the plane yet. And, and it sure came enough, over the loudspeakers? This was over the loudspeaker in the plane. The captain comes on as he hears this. And they go to check the, you know, where he reported the fire. There's a faulty wire that could have caused a fire. Wow. Oh, nah. nah. Yeah. Nah. yeah. That's crazy. Well, you know, if you're going to be a ghost, be a guardian ghost. That's exactly. my, my thought. And now this guy named John Fuller, who's an author, he starts collecting all these stories because these, these other crew members are coming to him. Now, what's happening is also other pilots who knew the dead crew members are coming as well and saying, hey, I was on a plane and I turned and next to me in the, the co-pilot seat was Stockstall. And he said, and he turned to me, didn't say a thing, just ghostly white and then vanished. Another first officer goes to check the hellhole because he hears some noises from the hellhole in his plane 
and he opens it up and he sees Ro uh, Repo's face looking back up at him. These were guys they'd worked with. So these are guys they knew. And wow. they all log them in the log books on the various planes. Now, what happens is Eastern Airlines starts looking at these log books going, we can't be the ghost airline. We can't be the haunted airline. So they switch out. Whenever anybody reports something, they swap out that log book and pretend the old log book doesn't exist anymore. They also make a note saying if anybody says they see a ghost on a plane, they have to go see the shrink and they can't work until they're cleared by the psychiatrist. Wow. I mean, for a company to start taking those kind of actions, you know it has to be a prevalent situation. Exactly. Now, this, they were always on other L-1011s, the sightings. And by the end of 1974, they stopped. So a couple years, pretty prevalent. Now, what happened in that meantime, right? Uh, mostly people stopped reporting it because they don't want to. Well, it became kind of dangerous to report yep. it. Uh, see, I didn't even know any of this. And my whole entire thing I said at the beginning of this podcast is coming to fruition in this podcast. Yes. Yeah. So uh, management denies that this ever happened, right? Um, but there was investigation of this because guess what happened? The pilots and the uh, stewardesses sue because they're tired of, you know, they want to talk about this stuff. They don't want to be put, you know, on psychiatric leave if they saw something unusual and they have to report it, right? That's that's part of the code. Yeah. And so, you know, this is a thing. And the FAA does an investigation into this. And the FAA actually makes two recommendations from this. Now, they never say there was a ghost. They never say there's any reported hauntings. But they do make two recommendations. One, no plane is ever allowed to replace their logs. Now, Eastern is not ever convicted of replacing any logs. But why would you make that rule suddenly if it hadn't happened? Yeah. And then secondly, no one is you know, allowed to be put on administrative leave for psychiatric evaluation for reporting a ghost. That's official FAA documentation. So the Federal Aviation Authority, you know, something good came out of this. I mean, if we've learned anything from this, it's that, hey, maybe don't bring haunted stuff into a place you're going to be. And like, <laughs> I don't know, maybe maybe some people listening, maybe some people recording could learn a thing or two, perhaps from this lesson. Maybe. Um, I don't know. Maybe Allie, that's, that's just not, me. That's not very I subtle. I don't have any parts subtle. from an L-1011. Oh, right. I'm sorry. Right. I forgot about all the other haunted so, shit you have. That's not plain parts. I, I do have a question, though. I have a question. So, um, first of all, I have several questions. I'm going to go down my myriad of questions. I have not gotten to use the word myriad recently, so I appreciate the ability to do so. It's a good word. Um, first of all, all of these, um, the quantity of reported sightings and stuff would lead me to believe that this isn't the parts of the plane that got pushed out everywhere. I feel like this is something different because yes, they could use those parts, but there'd be a, a finite number of them versus the infinite number of sightings that they're seeing more like these ghost felt 
I don't know, some degree of guilt or something for their part that they played in the deaths of the passengers. Mm -hmm. So that is my first thing. Second thing is what about where this crashed? Are there ghost stories from there? Because that's a yeah, now the 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 area near there, it is swamp, right? You can't just drive out to that site and go see it. Um I I've got more sighting reports because as I was researching this for Creepy Florida, I got a lot of stuff. And we actually went out there on an airboat uh, from one of the local airboat tours, from Tiger Tails airboat tours. So thanks so much for taking us out there. Uh, there is, uh, you know, most famously, this got made into a book the, by that author, Fuller. And he, of course may have exaggerated it a little bit for you know for author's purposes and now we have no idea what that's like yeah exactly <laughs> never 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 uh but um uh one point uh they uh they 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 said that uh he said that they started pulling all the parts that had been recycled and there was a report that engineers were pulling all the parts and replacing them with brand new ones and that's what stopped the hauntings. And then now this all comes from the fact that the vice president of Eastern Airlines supposedly was beginning a conversation with an officer in first class on one of his own flights. And he thought he was talking to the captain of the flight. But then the captain came on. And he turned to look at the guy next to him and the guy next to him disappeared. So now if a vice president has seen this, yo, we've got, yo, I've got to fix this. So now the book Flight 401, Ghost of Flight 401 came out and that also immediately got made into a made for television movie, The Ghost of Flight 401, starring the great late Ernest Borgnine. And they basically combined it all into Repo being the go only ghost. They cut all the other ghost stories. You know, this is what I hate about literary stuff to TV. You hear me say it all the time. You don't cut out the other ghosts, man. There's only three of them. You can make that shit work. Yeah. And so, um, can we get our hands on this movie? Does it still exist? Oh, somewhere? yeah, it still exists. You can watch it on YouTube, uh, I believe. Uh, I do. I know you can buy the book. The book is hard to get now, so it is. Uh, it is a little pricey for collectors. Uh, but you know, it's not terrible. It's like in the $20 range for, for a paperback. So uh, I'm, I'm thinking that we're going to have to say for our travels that you should find this book and watch the movie from the comfort of your own home. Well, there is the crash site does have active ghostly phenomena. Uh, it is investigated frequently in the right time of year. I will say, do not go in July or August. Yo, no. He says uh, this is this episode airs in July. I yeah, love exactly, that. exactly. But you know, people hear you know the lesser known ghosts. Sorry, people hearing disembodied screams, strange temperature spikes, uh, and and strange temperature drops, which is definitely not something normally happens in the Everglades. Uh, a lot of shadow figures, and there sometimes faces of the drowned seem to float up and vanish at the site. Now, May nineteen ninety six. So a couple of years later. Well, yeah, just a little bit. 24 <laughs> years later. Um, 
just a few hundred yards away from flight 401, value jet flight 592 crashes into the marsh, killing all 110 passengers and crew on board that one. Oh my goodness. And now that, a few miles south of that, you're on the old Alligator Alley. They put up a marker and a memorial for the flight 592. There is no marker for flight 401. So many visitors use the structure for the flight 592 marker as also for flight 401. And that's where we went to the remembrance special for the 50th anniversary. And so that's two horrific crashes less than 100 yards from each other in the Florida Everglades. Well, who I mean, put up the marker and who didn't put up the other marker? It was the state put up the initial marker. Okay, state of Florida, get your shit together and get the other marker up. That can't cost more than a grand. Up. Yep. Ah, yes, Florida, a state known for getting its shit together. Yeah, it's no, us. Is, <laughs> yeah, yeah, we're accurate. Yeah, it's not like we have markers for absolutely everything else. You know, yeah. Uh, I mean, I live really close to that and I don't love that. You're not that close to it. It's, it's I'm close fun. enough. Yeah, you're, you're closer way closer than I am, than I am Callie. Yeah. So. I don't like the proximity. But yeah, but, so when you're flying into Miami <laughs> airport, just, yo know, make sure you keep your tray tables up and your seat back in the full upright position. <laughs> or just change it to an Orlando flight. Like... <laughs> Or land to anywhere else. No, yeah. we shouldn't say that because honestly, I mean, yes, yeah. in general, when there is a flight crash, there usually is not survivors, but it is safer statistically to travel in a plane than it is on a lot of other modes of transportation. True that, true that. So, you know, oh. and it is part of the travels. You know, that's the whole point is get down there. But I do highly recommend you drive Old Alligator Alley sometime. You can go to Dave Sheely's Skunk Ape headquarters down there. See uh, Goldie, the world's second largest snake in captivity that might be the longest now, but we haven't had it measured again in a while. And uh, that was where one of the world's most famous skunk ape sightings ever happened. And uh, so if you're going to travel, choose the months of December, January, or February. Yes. Any of highly those, recommend those months are highly respectable months to be traveling in Florida. And you can always go get an airboat tour yeah. and talk to local paranormal experts down there if you want to go out to where the crash sightings are. Or like me, you can get some popcorn, a glass of wine, maybe some ice cream and watch Ernest Borgnine on yeah. flight 401. And maybe even better, read the book to hear the stories from yeah. flight 401. Or you can pick up Creepy Florida. Uh, which has that amongst many other stories in it. So and can be your spooky guide to traveling around Florida. Yep, yep, yep. And with that, folks, I just uh, gotta say, you know, you know, we've traveled a lot of places and been to a lot of crazy things. Airboat rides in Florida are fantastic. So you know, they are there is a reason everybody pays to do them because do it once at least. Do it once at least. I agree. I concur. And with that, I believe we have neared or at the end of our story. Are yeah, we, Mark? I think so. That's all the ghost stories. Now, there's other strange 
flights and occurrences. The Everglades are a mysterious place and we will revisit them in the future. And uh, thank you all so much for tuning in. Please like, share, and subscribe and tell your friends. And hey, we made for July, we made Holy the top 10 on Paranormality Mag's top 10 paranormal podcasts. Which we um, love and we love you listeners who are voting for us, but we made number nine. We yeah. can do better than that. We're way better than number nine. Well, hey, we broke the list. I'm I'm happy that we we're climbing the I chart. know you you're happy we broke the list. I am demanding more. Right. I am too Want more. Oh. You're listening. Take a jaunt over to Paranormality Magazine and vote for us because yeah. it is pretty awesome to be recognized. And we love you listeners. Do not forget to send us listener tales. Have yes. you ever had a ghostly experience on a flight? I'm just gonna say. If I'm going to have a haunted flight, I want the haunted flight where they're looking out and protecting the flight like these ghosts were. Oh, yeah. They can join any flight I'm on anytime. I've seen a lot of, um, what is it, Twilight Zone? There are certain oh, ghosts there's... I don't need on my plane, please and thank you. There's something on the wing. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> No, uh, yeah, I, yeah. Oh, I so speaking of that, did you know that they're going to have William Shatner is going to be at a Wrath of Khan screening in Florida, and you can I buy tickets that. to it? Yeah, yeah, I love that. That's cool. Yeah. I'm one of his last, you know, tours. I'm like, oh man, and I'm traveling that week, so oh, of course darn. you are. Course, okay, yeah, but Mark, send us off before we get totally sidetracked. Yeah, Destiny, play us out of here, and we'll see you on the other side.